0: Good morning, ladies, and welcome to Torah with the Takeaway. This week, we are digressing from the Parsha, and we're since we have Hanukkah coming up in a few days, I thought we need a prep for Hanukkah. So this hopefully will be a, a good prep for all of us, uh, an, an, an adult version of analyzing the Hanukkah story and how we can grow from it and what we should get out of Hanukkah, which is very important. Okay, so I have my famous four questions before we start. Question number one. Um, we have to first read, it, it, you may, um, there's different explanations of where to, the word, you know, where we find Hanukkah alluded to in the Torah. The most famous is in Parsha's Balozha They have the Nesim, all the leaders of all the tribes bring sacrifices when the, base, when the Mishkan was inaugurated. And at the very end of all of it, um, Aaron felt very bad. We're told, This is Rashi. Why is menorah connected to Lafi Nesim? When Aaron witnessed the consecration of the Mishkan and he saw all the 12 tribes, the leaders brings exact same sacrifices, which is astounding. We'll talk about that soon. Chol um, shadato, he felt down. Shalom hayayimahem b'Chanukah lohu He was not included in this inauguration of the Mishkan, not him and not his tribe. Amar lo Hashem told him, Chayecha, I swear to you. And you know when Hashem swears, it's not a little thing. Shalchak dula mi shalahem. What I'm giving you is bigger than them. Shatamadlik ometiv es haneros because you're going to be standing up on the bima and lighting the candles, right? That's what the Kohen the Gadol did. But it's also, the Ramban says on this Parsha, But really, says the Ramban, this is a deeper remez, a deeper hint. It alludes to the fact that the descendants of Aaron, the Hashvonim, are going to get up, The coin Godel and his sons are going to consecrate the whole temple and they're going to light the menorah for Hanukkah. That's what the Ramban says. So let, we have a few questions on all this. Now Aaron felt bad. Okay. What is the comfort that he gets to light the candles? Okay. It's on a simple level. Okay. And what's the comfort of Hanukkah according to the Ramban? Well, how is that a comfort that he wasn't one of the 12 leaders of tribes that, that, did something, it brought a sacrifice that consecrated the Mizbeach. Okay, so that's the first thing, is why Why is this the comfort for him, the whole story of Hanukkah? There must be something for us to learn from as well. And in fact, Aaron was not upset when Moshe was chosen over him to be the leader of the Jewish people, to take them out of Egypt. Aaron was happy in his heart. Why is he unhappy here when the Nesim each brought their sacrifice? So that's our question one. Question number two, what is the main mitzvah of Hanukkah? Besides lighting the menorah, it says, We are supposed to have praise and thanksgiving on Hanukkah. That's our main mitzvah. The candles of Hanukkah cannot be used for anything else. You can't light up a cigarette from the Hanukkah candles. You can't uh, make yourself a bonfire from the Hanukkah candles. If you have a dark room, you can't read by the Hanukkah candles. Why are you supposed to see the Hanukkah candles? You're supposed to be full of praise and thanksgiving to Hashem. That is the purpose of Hanukkah. That's what we're told. Why? Why well, does the candles bring us to that? And what's the purpose? Number three, why is there no Megillah for Hanukkah? You know, Hanukkah really is the last holiday ever celebrated that was like set down by our sages that we have to celebrate. The story of Purim happened between the two temples in the 70 years uh, before the second base of Megdash was built. The Hanukkah story was during the time of the second temple near the end of it. Greeks you always remember before the Romans and these were the Syrian Greeks after Alexander the Great this is really you know the end of the second temple uh, when there was uh, longer any prophecy they were taking away prophecy at this point uh, at the end of the second temple and um, and uh, why is it you know so um, why was there no Megillah written on this in fact there's a lot of vague stuff that people get they call from different Gemaras and then there's arguments whether Josephus is, is accurate. How accurate is Josephus? I mean, most people say it's very accurate. Um, why is there no Megillah after Megillah Sester? And the last question is, what's so unique about the Hanukkah miracle? We make a big deal about the oil and we say something about, um, we talk about the wars. We mention it in our prayers Al Hanissim, but we don't, but really the whole main thing, there's nothing to count to commemorate the wars. It's just the commemorate the lighting of the, of the candles and what's so special if they found this little flask of oil that lasted for eight days? In fact, we find there's a famous story in Tanakh with Elia Navi and the Isha Shunamis, that uh, she was a poor woman, a widow, that came to him and she said, I don't have any money. So he said, bring me a jug of oil. I mean, bring me all your jugs, rather. You know, he said, do you have anything? I think they had a drop of oil. He started, he he made a miracle that she had jugs and jugs, pouring and pouring and pouring. Her house was full of oil. And we don't have a holiday for that one. And that was even bigger than the Hanukkah miracle, if you think of it. Like she had for a whole year, all the oil she needed. You know, why Why there? There's another famous story, Hanina Bendoza. One time his daughter accidentally lit candles of vinegar. And he said, don't worry. Whoever says the oil will light vinegar will light so here we find that um that uh, there was a miracle done to Hanina Bendosa that he didn't even use oil and his candles lit for Shabbos and it says Neiros Hanukkah it says the Rambam says Chaviva Adma is beloved it doesn't say that the Rambam doesn't say that by any other Mitzvah why is so special about this oil about these candles okay ladies those are our questions and now let's get up with some amazing answers First of all, one thing we have to erase from childhood. I heard this from by Victor Miller several years ago. He says it's something very important for us as adults to remember. You know, little kids are trained to think that the the uh, the Greeks were bad. They made all these evil decrees, and, um, and, and throughout history, we're always told this one's bad, Haman's bad, and Mordechai's good, and all these things. We're supposed to believe, says Reverend Victor Miller. The cause of the whole Hanukkah story was that a tremendous amount of the population of the Jewish people were integrating, were assimilating with the Greeks. That was the problem in those days. It was uh, Hellenizing, it was assimilation. That's what brought our whole downfall and that's what caused the horrific decrees that were put against us by Antiochus. You know, he he didn't allow us to have Rismillah. He didn't allow Torah to be studied in public. He wouldn't allow any precepts of the Torah, the were that were Hukim, that were something you don't understand. He wouldn't let us to keep that. Um, now, the let's go back now to the Naseum, though. So that's the cause really the Hanukkah story. Any time in history that we become lax, God is sending us messages, and that's even today. It's not an exception to the rule. It's not like, oh, this is just something that we woke up one day and we found this whole COVID-19 and we found chaos throughout the Jewish world, throughout the world at large. And that in Israel, there's a chaos now with the government and there's chaos everywhere. If this is a Jewish principle in history, nothing happens for naught and everything has, it's, it's not coincidence. There is some, There's a deep message for us to take away from anything we go through and we have to rectify whatever we're doing wrong. Now, in the case of the Niseum, when the leaders of the tribes in Parshas Baloso, when they, in Nusso, rather, right before Baloso, when they brought their sacrifices, they each had a prophecy. You see, when they consecrated the Mizpah, really, when you bring a sacrifice, you can't just knock on the door of the megnish and say, hi, I'm here to bring a sacrifice. There's a whole thing that has to be thought out. First of all, certain sacrifices are only allowed to be brought by Kohanim. They're not allowed to be brought by just any Jew. They brought incense and a chatas. They brought us a a korban for uh, forgiveness. This was something unusual. And they were just consecrating the temple. How did they know to do this? So we're told that each one of the the, um, leaders of the tribe, on their own, was told to bring this by nevuah, by prophecy. They each had prophecy on that day to bring the specific thing, and each one brought identical, which is... Amazing. 12 people thought to bring identical sacrifices to show that Hashem loves loves every Jew equally. It's not one tribe he favors over another, but every Jew he loves equally. All the 12 tribes brought their sacrifices, except for Aaron. Aaron saw he didn't get, you know, and this was called a harashah. We find this several times at Tanakh sometimes, sometimes either through prophecy or through a great saddick. We can't do this in our day. I'll Give you an example of one that was thought of. Um, sometimes a great person, either being instructed to do so through prophecy, or he on his own is great enough to take this on his shoulders, realizes that you have to break from tradition and you have to do something because it's a it's, it's a specific situation and you you have to break the Torah in this situation. One famous example that is in controversial, in fact, I'm giving you a controversial example. Rav Shemshon Rafal Hirsch in the 1800s instituted an idea called Torah Derech HaKaretz. He decided he said that it's important for a Jew to study all the secular subjects, but use them for a holy purpose. Just the opinion of Rav Ber Leibowitz was that this was a harasha that Rav Hirsch felt in Frankfurt, Germany. Now, a lot of people don't agree with this. I'm just saying opinions. You'll get familiar with the idea of harasha. He felt... He didn't. He didn't say that in general. It's you know allowed to go to university and and study you know secular subjects and that's a mitzvah. He felt this would save German Jews in the 1800s. There's other such stories. Ya'el and Sisra. That's another real. <laughs> uh, Ya'el um, allowed herself to be taken by Sisra, you know, and do things that a woman's not allowed to do with a man. She felt she was going to save the Jewish people thereby, and she also did something a woman's not usually allowed to hold a weapon, um, because it's like a male thing to do. So they said she did take a tent stake. She didn't take the normal, you know, she didn't take a normal gun. So wait, that already not. But she did do that because she felt she was going to save the Jewish people. And there's other such stories. I think Elio and the Baal is another example. Elio who did a sacrifice in public, which was not sanctioned because he felt this was going to be a public kiddish Hashem, to show everybody that you show a Jewish sacrifice, and on the other side you show a sacrifice to idolatry, and you see which one God answers. Now, so there's an idea of harasha. Sometimes there's a special situation that mandates God saying, We are doing a different rule, either he's giving instruction as a prophecy, or he or the person themselves is so great, they can they can say, we need this in our generation, and we have to kind of do something a little different here. Now, in the time of the Niseum, this was not unusual. They were not allowed to bring these sacrifices. They also brought other things as well, by the way, not just sacrifice. They brought some other things, but everything was totally identical. Amazing. On, and on their own, they thought of it. There's a lot of explanations for that to show each person has their own ideas and thoughts. And even though 12 identical sacrifices were brought, your own thoughts are so important that they're there in the, in the sacrifice. They show themselves in the sacrifice. Now... Aaron felt bad when he saw that there was a shot just for these people. Hashem loves them so much that he usually the base hamigdash, there's so many things you can't do. You know, you can't go past a certain line if you're not a Kohen. Levy goes only up to so far. coin only goes up to so far. Cohen can, is the only one that could go you know, past all those things. And let's say the Holy of Holies, he can only go in on Yom Kippur. And then there's laws about sacrifice. There's a myriad of laws. Almost the whole book of Leviticus, the whole Sefer Vayikra, is full of all these laws with the base of Echdash. But Aaron saw that, um, that, that, that here's Hashem showing a breaking with the rules. Why is the breaking with the rules because it says, Ahti is amar Hashem. Rashim Shampinkas tells us, that's all, that Hashem loves us so much that love breaks tradition. When you love someone, you can't go by the letter of the law. You you just feel compelled to go beyond the letter of the law. Your relationship, Hashem is saying, is more important to me than halacha. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't, we're not supposed to employ this on an everyday basis and we don't employ this all It's not for us to make these t- decisions. They're once in a, you in know, a, in a who knows how, centuries of, of, of life, but once in a blue moon, some great person comes along, um, you know, and it was accepted by the whole community that you're allowed to break from tradition because it's a special show of Hashem's love. In fact, not only that consecration of the, the Mishkan, when they consecrated the tabernacle, at that first moment, the way it had to be inaugurated was to show the public, you know what? Our relationship, Klal is based on love. It's not based on how many mitzvahs did you do? I love you unconditionally, no matter what. No matter what you do in the future, You always have a chance to return to me. This is Hashem showing us at the advent, at the beginning of any building of any importance. I love you unconditionally. And right now I wanna show you that halacha doesn't even exist in the beginning of our relationship. Guess what? The same principle applied with the first two temples as well by Shlomo HaMelech and by Ezra, the Jews ate on Yom Kippur when they inaugurated the temples. Just for that, the temples were both inaugurated on Yom Kippur. And at that time, they broke with tradition and ate to start the Besam Yiddish. Because this is showing the foundation of everything is Hashem's unconditional love for us. That's really astounding. And they say that in Sefer Yeheskel, I didn't get to look this up, but Rosh Hashem Shempinkas says, in Sefer Yeheskel we're promised the third Besam Yiddish will have the same beginning. Uh, the inauguration of it will also entail some kind of breaking with tradition to show that the fundamental ba- ba- base bottom bottom line is the relationship between us and our Creator. That's really amazing. Not mitzvahs, and and that's the reason, says Roshim pinkus Man was created helpless. I don't love you because you're a doctor, a lawyer, a philanthropist. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for mentioning my my esteemed friend from Eretz Yisrael has told me to say something, and she's right, and it says. Harasha is always temporary. Sha'a means for the hour. This means they didn't say that from now on, everybody can bring whatever they want. This is just a temporary um, relaxing of restrictions for a certain moment. I had to explain that better. And thank you for being my personal editor. But that's, um, man was created helpless. Why? Man was created helpless because he. we're supposed to know, I don't love you because you became You know, the great Torah scholar, or because you're the Kohen Gadol, or because you're the doctor, the lawyer, the family man, the great friend to all. I love you because I created you, and I love you for that reason. That's it. That's the beginning of all. Only man is created helpless like that, whereas animals are more, we mentioned this in other contexts before, that a man is created helpless for other reasons, you know. But in this week's parsha, in this Indian of uh, Hanukkah, what I want to explain is that. We have the special mission of being loved no matter what. And that's the yesod, the, 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 that's the foundation for which we believe our whole Yiddishkeit exists. If you think about it, the Ramchal, very famous, but it's the fundamental principle of Judaism. Hashem created us. Why did he create nudniks like us? He didn't have to, but Hashem is the ultimate giver, very famous. The ultimate giver, he wants to create man because he wants to give. But then he doesn't want man to feel nobody wants a handout. If Hashem keeps giving and giving and giving and giving, nobody wants a handout. So what does Hashem do? He creates coronavirus and things like that where we don't feel we're achieving anything, right? We feel it's a struggle. It's a struggle. And then at the end, when he gives us all good in Olam haba, we'll feel like, you know, maybe I did do something once in the year touch and Pay Aleph, Tafshan Pei. Maybe I maybe I did once do a good deed in my life. And, uh, you know, and then you feel, you won't feel so embarrassed to take the world to come. That's the whole purpose of struggling through this world is so we should feel like we deserve somewhat the world to come. So that's the whole foundation is God only wants to give to us. And we have to remember that. The above us mentions, we said the seventh condition to trust for in, in Bitochem, Shara Bitochem is you have to trust someone that loves you unconditionally. Because people say, "How can I trust Hashem? I sinned. He's not going to come through for me." That's not Judaism. Judaism is that even when we sin, Hashem is waiting for us to do tshuva, and He doesn't want to punish us. And it's such an important thing, especially what we're going through now, when things seem so dark in so many ways. I mean, there's so much light in this world too at this time. You know, we we are very lucky. We're all in our homes, and you know, hopefully, we you know people have a roof over their head and they have food. And there's so many things we do have compared to, let's say, the World War II, God forbid. But um, it's a very important condition to remember that the first fundamental principle that Hashem loves us unconditionally. That's what Aaron felt bad about. Of course, he saw, I'm not the leader of the Jewish people. That's not my mission. I'm not a Moshe Rabbeinu. And I'm happy if he does what he does and I do what I do. But that Hashem showed a special love and my tribe was excluded my tribe was not included in the promise that, you know, that I love you unconditionally. He was worried. So Hashem showed him Hanukkah because there's several midrashim about Hanukkah. There's actually three, but we're going to, we'll say them quickly and then we'll focus on one. Uh, one idea is mashal there's a There's a parable, an example of a king who once told the confidant, make me a mirror. And the person's a mirror of you, of the king. I, I don't know if I'll do a good enough re- replica. And he said, "Don't worry, that's what I want. I want your replica." Second one is that there was a wise man and a blind man, and they were walking together. And I guess the wise man was leading the blind. And then at the end, the wise man—you know, there's different examples like this in the midrash, but this is not the one we're getting at—that the wise man at the end, the blind man tells the wise man, "Thank you." for taking me here. Now I want you to turn on a light for me, light my candle for me. when the wise man's thinking to himself, you don't need a candle, you can't see. But he says, no, if you want me to light a candle for you, I'll do it. And the third example is, example of a friend of the king and the king calls him over and he says, you know what, I want you to make me a meal, make me a lavish meal. I'm coming to your house in two days. So the person, he's a poor man, but he's a, a very loyal servant to the king. What does he do? He makes what he has, you know, what does he have for supper? He has uh, tuna patties, you know, and, and he has uh, mashed potatoes and whatever. That's like a meal in his mind fit for a king. He makes all these things in his, you know, in his regular, whatever he has in the house, he takes out his corral, he takes out his regular dishes. And two days later, that before the king comes, his whole entourage comes to make sure it's going to be comfortable for the king. And they they put on the table gold candlesticks, and they repl- and they they take uh, fancy dishes and everything because the king's coming and a, a fancy seat. And this person's humiliated. He says, Samira I, I I just did my best, but I can't I can't do good enough for the king." So he starts hiding. You know, like sometimes people in the olden days they want to hide their dirty dishes. They put them in the oven. He puts all his stuff in the oven so nobody's gonna see it. And, has, and then And the king says where's your Suda for me? He said, your highness, the servants brought this gorgeous, you know, stuffed duck and all kinds of other things. He said, my, I made something very inadequate. The king says, no, I want your meal. I want what you made. That's what I want for myself. These three Midrashim have a similar lesson, the the theme, and the theme is what does we Hashem really want from us? What can we give to Hashem? Hashem is all good, all powerful, all everything. Whenever we do a mitzvah, of course, we do it. We, we, we said we benefit a lot from it. We grow as a person. But Hashem is the light of all worlds. And in fact, Hashem's light is so great. When he made the original light during the time of Adam, it lasted 36 hours, the 12 hours until the sin. And then Hashem granted him the 24 hours of Shabbos. He had what's called the Orhaganus, the hidden light. Before it was a revealed light, and Hashem said the world doesn't deserve it anymore after the sin. He hid it away. And um, it says by the time of Mashiach, you know, this light will be revealed again. But Hashem is light of the whole world. We're lighting up a candle. They say in the Mishkan and in the base of Migdash, the windows were made, usually, windows are made somewhat on a slant, so to allow the light to come in, they're slanted. In inward, so the light will come in the base of Megdish and the Mishkan had the, had the windows slanted outward as if there's this big light. This menorah is going to light out the whole town, you know. <laughs> so, what is it because Hashem wants it that way, he wants us to give a light, us little people. We're supposed to do something, and um, he gave little people this task. Why did Hashem do all this harasha and why does he give us all these honors, uh, in 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 Hanukkah, let's say? It's the same reason why I created the world, um, but it's on a daily basis, when we had to consecrate the new of HaMikda, Hashem wanted to, Hanukkah, um, besides being camping on the 25th, which is, uh, of course, the 25th of Kislev, life, Hanukkah also means rededication. It's, it's a, a new habit. So when there's a new habit, if you want to train your children in something, you have to begin the habit and make it very sweet. You know, they were saying at the Levi of Rabbi Kersner, he should rest in peace. They were saying that one of his grandchildren mentioned that he said when he was like turning bar mitzvah, he turned to his older brother and he said, I want to work on myself because I know that's my mandate as a human being. What muster safer should I learn? I want to work on myself. What, what muster safer can I learn? And his brother looked at him and he said, the biggest muster safer we have is our grandfather. We just look at him. And in other words, he had such a sweetness to his personality and everything was he was a he was a person worked on himself that it was done with such sweetness and pleasantness that he wanted to copy his grandfather he says that's the biggest muster safer same thing when you present something initially with sweetness then that gives people the biggest incentive that's why childhood if we, you know everything is reward and punishment if we give like a, a a feeling to others that we're you know we're 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 encouraging them by sweetness by goodness that encourages them to continue on and do it for the rest of their life that's why we have the idea of Hanukkah Gelt to try to encourage people in a sweet way that we want you know the Torah is the best thing and we want you to continue on that path the Pasek says in Tehillim shem Dalet how beautiful is are your houses of your Mishkan, Mishkanosaka, your, mishkan no your base Megda, Bate Megdash, and your Mishkan Hashem. Before, you know, before Matan Torah, people realized the importance of giving a sacrifice. Sacrifices were very important. And when you give a sacrifice, it shows an idea of wanting to give up everything that you have. That's the idea of a sacrifice. It's Masira Snapish. What is a person supposed to think when they bring a Korban? Korban means to come close. It means as they slaughter the animal person's supposed to think, I wish it was me. I'm, I wish I'm not allowed to commit suicide. I have to use my life to serve God, but I wish I could give you a sham everything, everything I have. I wish I could give you, I wish I could, you know, when, when they're slaughtering the animal, you're supposed to think I wish it was me. When they, when they, when they burn the animal, you're supposed to think I wish I give all myself up. Either you're doing it as a apology to as, as, you know, as chuva, or you're doing it because you want to get so close. You you want to get close to Hashem and Ola, it's called. When you want to, you know, go up, you want to uh, up yourself. So that's the idea of a Korban. But bigger than that is what is, is, you know, is for us to know that unconditionally, I love you. Uh, That's greater concept than giving up everything. Now, you do need first Masiris Nefesh. There is a concept, you know, we talk about loving Hashem. And of course, you have to love Hashem if he loves you unconditionally. Your best friend, or Victor Miller always said that, his best friend is Shem. So the Chavetz Chaim. They both said that, that they have a best friend, and you have to make him your best friend. Um, first, though, we need fear of heaven. And fear of heaven doesn't mean to be shaking in your boots, just an awareness of that God has so much power, I have to be afraid of him, I have to be in awe of him. And then comes the next step, which is love, which is what that superseded the idea of giving, giving the korbanas. Or even probenos can be brought with love, any can thing brought with love, but those like hint at the two levels. One is serving God, that you know, He's so powerful. I have to do what I have to do, I have to get in line. And but love is a higher level to realize that I owe Hashem everything and out of love, I want to do everything. That's the idea of Chavivin, uh, um, that, that the Rambam says, Chavivin Adma'o, why is it precious? Because it shows God's love for us. He wants us to light a candle when he gave us a miracle of winning a war, when he gave us a miracle of finding a jug, you know, it, we are, it, it's precious to him because he wants human activity. He wants us to feel good about our, what we're doing for him. And no matter what, he loves us. And we, ha- we have to internalize this message. We need it, especially in the dark winter, when things are so dark. It signifies what we're all going through. People are so isolated. And people are, are you know, and, and, and there's people that are suffering, that are sick. And there's there's so much so much uncertainty about life now and the upset and the unrest of the world and all kinds of things. Lighting up this candle is showing us we have to remember that Hashem had unconditional love for us. We don't have to be here to begin with. And underneath all this curtain that we're seeing right now is really still, there's so much to be grateful for. We have to work on that, especially when we light the candle to think, what can we appreciate from Hashem? Maybe it's a good idea. That's why, you know, according to Rav Yashem, of Racha and most poskim, they say a woman should say Hallel the whole Hanukkah. And then, you know, you're supposed to sing t- songs of praise at the menorah. And the reason for that is we're supposed to feel Hashem's unconditional love, and we owe, we owe back. We're also told, Khaviv and Divrei Sofer, another way, a place that is, there's made mention of the word Chaviv, how something is beloved. It says the words of our sages in the Mishnah and the Talmud are beloved. Very interesting, we are told when we make Kiddush Friday night. Friday night signifies the world to come, Mayn right? Yonto signifies the times of Mashiach. Well, Holy least Sukkot definitely signifies that, or uh, some time that God, you know, gave us a huge miracle. And these are very special times, you know, for for the Jewish people. When we when we say Kiddush on Friday night, we say Mekadesh Hashabbos. But as far as Hashem loving the Jewish people, Hashem loves our our righteous people. It says, Who set the calendar initially? Who would decree there's Rosh Chodesh? A a person, a human being would say it's Rosh Chodesh today. So Hashem says, okay, I agree with you. Who says it's Yom Kippur today? A human being. That's what we say at the Kiddush of a Yom Tov. Because Hashem loves the loves our sages, and when they said it's a yantaf, he, so to speak, goes along with them. Hanukkah has an unusual place. Hanukkah's place is life in this world that's dark, in in exile, because it's an exile holiday, where man is striving to reach Hashem. That's what Hanukkah is. The other holidays were full-blown, you know, because, look, the Hanukkah story wasn't perfect. Even after the Hanukkah story, people from the very same family that saved the Jewish people are the ones that did certain. They, they, the 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 dynasty. Afterwards, many of them installed fake Kohanim Gedolim in the temple, and they did all kinds of things against the Jewish people. <laughs> and okay, that wasn't the majority. Most Jews did come back, did return after the Hanukkah story, but it was still darkness. It resembles our exile. Our exile is dark. You know, the Rav Zalman Sarotskans itself tells us that the two exile holidays are both in the winter, Hanukkah and Purim, because they both signify times of darkness when it wasn't so clear. There wasn't a temple um, in the time of Purim. And here the temple was turned, the lights were turned off for some 52 years of the Hanukkah story. The, um, and there's a lot of darkness. Rav Wolfson Schlita tells us that, Whenever you could see Hashem, it was always, he had to be what's called above ten t'fachim. A tefach is like a man's fist, and if you measure t'fachim, that's how they would measure certain halachic things. Like, for example, I think you can only be um, a certain number of t'fachim off the ground for someone sitting Shiva or for a person sitting on Yom Kippur. Um, It says that the Aaron Kodesh was ten t'fachim off the ground, and God's voice could only be heard above the Aaron Kodesh. But a menorah cannot be higher than Ted Tfachim off the ground. A menorah can't be that high off the ground. Why? Because, the, and also you can, you can only use inferior wicks. You can, I'm sorry, you're allowed to use inferior wicks for the menorah, whereas for Shabbos, you have to use superior wicks. Um, because the whole idea is this is speaking to darkness, this is speaking to the lowliest people. God is reaching out to the lowliest souls. There's no inspiration. And we're about to enter the long, hard winter throughout the world, and especially in the city of Toronto, where the, the where the sky is white or gray for a, a good three months. In Eretz through the sky is always blue, no matter what, because it's a, a um, you know a, a rainstorm, like a huge rainstorm. But the sky is at least blue here in the uh, Chutlarez, at least in these the North American region. We are it's bleak, and there's many other countries where it's very bleak. There's no inspiration. Um, but the thing, but the, the thing with Hanukkah is that to remember that how, how loved we are, how beloved we are, and he loves us, even the little people. And you know, that's that's what's relevant for today. Now, what does it mean when we like the menorah that he loves us? He wants us to light the candle and light the menorah. I heard from Rabbi Waxman, Shlita, a speech years ago where he mentions. The whole Greek mentality is about the external. How big are your biceps? How fast can you run the Olympics? How gorgeous are you? How accomplished are you? And it still exists today. They say, I read this somewhere a long time ago, that it says at a cocktail party, within 10 minutes, someone's going to ask you, what do you do? As if like, that's your definition. You know, I'm in this field or I'm in that field. That's who I am. Is that really who we are? No, those things, the Jewish philosophy is, what Hashem gave us is what we are. Like, let's say Hashem made us, gave us a certain amount of brain power. Hashem gave us a certain amount of muscle power. Hashem gave us the degree. Hashem gave us the, the you know, everything we have. What we make of ourselves is the only thing that we can account for. And that was contrary to Greek philosophy. The, uh, you know, if what, what you are is what you give back to Hashem. What are you doing for Hashem? What Hashem does for you is that's what the Greeks cherished. We cherish. What are you toward Hashem? That's a reason, perhaps, why they say they banished the ramp up to the Mizbeach, to the altar, during the time of the Greeks, because the idea was climbing upward. That was, an, uh, you know, and uh, that was a, a, against all their philosophy. They didn't believe in climbing. They believed in humanism. How human being is so great. We believe our struggles with ourselves is what makes us so great. You know, it's mentioned Yosef Atzadik. Now, I, I forgot who says this. I saw this somewhere. I don't remember. But I, I, I think maybe, maybe again, this is Rabbi Wolfson. Yes, it is. Uh, Yosef Atzadik, these parshas are always the parshas before the Hanukkah story. What was special about Yosef, he had such, he was such a good-looking man. He was like, he was supposed to be spectacular. And yet this woman was chasing him, Potipharah, Potipharah's wife was chasing him. Day and night for a year, like three times a day, she changed her clothing. It was such a challenge to him. And yet, Yosef resisted all her advances. And that was superhuman. This is a man overcoming himself. That's the message of Hanukkah. We also find this mentioned. The Bach says a different reason why we have Hanukkah. And he says it's because the Jews, just turn this off, it makes a it different. The Bach says, the Jews were weakened in their service. They were like lazy the way they would do the daily sacrifices. So we needed Hanukkah to rekindle that fire. Fire also resembles Mesira Snefesh. That's what the, that's what the Nisim were doing too. we have Mesira Snefesh with love. Because <laughs> the thing is, it's one thing to give up your life, you know, give up life for something you feel. I owe everything to God and God gives me everything. And I'm, you know, I have to do it. Here with the Hanukkah story, it's a question of, he gave me everything. There's no end to what I owe him. I, I love him so much. He loves me unconditionally. I owe him everything. And that should we should serve Hashem with a fire, with a bren. We should serve Hashem with an enthusiasm. And we should go overcome ourselves. So those are the three messages we've spoken about so far. And those are number one, the unconditional love. Number two, Hashem even loves the little people with the unconditional love. he, he lets Jews establish holidays. And we're not ruled by what is going on. Like the Greeks felt that you are like a product of what you have. And we feel that's what God gives you. We're a product of how you can overcome. And overcoming with a fire. Saying that I owe him everything. I'm willing to give up everything. We mentioned Rav Rav Yeruchim Levavitz brings down. I I saw this, Rav Rav, uh, Avram Ozvon Shlita says that why is it that... Uh, he asked the question, why is it that, what was it that the give up was such self-sacrifice to wage a war when it's because they were weak in giving sacrifices? So you're supposed to give up your life for sacrifices? He says, there's an idea of giving up your life when you do any mitzvah. You should be putting your whole self into a mitzvah with such fire and enthusiasm, especially the winter months when we tend to be more lethargic. We're home and you're not going to go to many places. And, you know, um, we have to self-inspire. It's, I, I heard another uh, word that's similar to this, that in the time of the Greeks, uh, you know, we started losing prophecy. So we can't be inspired from external forces. It's our self-inspiration. We have to light up the dark. Even when things look gloomy and dark, that's we have to overcome the darkness. The Vilna Gone says, how did how did Nomi know that Rus was a valid convert when it says when he saw that Rus was struggling to walk with her she was walking barefoot on stones to go back to Israel then, then that's a sign when somebody is struggling it's a sign they're doing the right thing we don't know always you know we we have this mindset even today we feel when are we succeeding we finished the whole list. We made a list for ourselves. And today we were able to complete the whole list. That's accomplishment, right? Or we feel we've accomplished something when I'm trying to get light. It's not just whatever. Anyways, or we feel we've accomplished something when, you know, when uh, something we see on paper, we did this Mitzvah, we did that. Hanukkah is teaching us the opposite. That's a Greek mentality. That's Greek. And that's in our society. What do you do? How much did you do? Some people feel down. They didn't they didn't do this like their friends did. Or we're not able to go out in public like other people are right now. Or some people can get out in the community and we can't or whatever it is that we're feeling deprived with. The Hanukkah message is what did we do to overcome ourselves? That's when we get the brownie points from Hashem, not what. You know, what did we accomplish per se? But how much did we struggle? We don't know. It could be the darkest moments and we pushed ourselves. That's already credit on the on the on the bulletin board. We've done something, accomplished something. It deserves to be publicized that we overcame ourselves. And that's what they did. They decided to be strict and only go with the strict olive oil from the base of Mekdash. And they overcame the, their temptations. And look what they got. I remember hearing this once and made an impression on me by Reisman Schlita was once speaking, and he said that, you know, he said a lot of people that are converts or Bali Tshuva, how do they know when they finally arrived, when they daven and it's without feeling? And they say, oh my gosh, I wasn't inspired today. The moment they're not inspired anymore, the moment they feel they're lethargic when they daven, they should know the lights are now off and it's now your effort. It's not the things that inspired you anymore. It's what are you doing? And to be inspired is nice. It's lovely when we feel inspired during davening. But that's not the objective. The objective is to serve Hashem. And that's what we're going to be judged on. And we don't know we, when a person doesn't feel good or when a person has a difficult situation. We're not inspired. We're inspired in Yom Kippur, hearing a chazan or you know, being in a wonderful environment or having a wonderful thing happen to us. But we're not here to be inspired. We're here to serve Hashem. And that's the message of us lighting the candle to show we want to do something for you Hashem we want to overcome ourselves we want to do it with enthusiasm want to do it because you give us unconditional love and we have to say to ourselves besides the howl it's a good idea during Hanukkah to make a habit after we sing all the songs of praise to Hashem we should at least think of 10 things to praise Hashem for that that day we see his unconditional love because it's hidden there but it's there or if we can't think of anything today, let's go back in history. Let's go back and think of all the things he has bestowed upon each one of us. Trying to see if I can understand my... Uh... Okay, now, I saw this by Reverend Shachter Schachter. Schleiter. He says, the 36 hours where they have this amazing light that was put away for Mashiach times and for Olam Haba. Whatever that means, I don't know. But they say there are 36 candles we light on Hanukkah. And when you look at the Hanukkah candles, we may not grasp it, but we are looking at the Orhaka news. The hidden light is hidden within the Hanukkah candles. That's what the Maral says and the Rokeach. They both say this. And it's supposed to be a cure for depression, by the way, also to stare at the Hanukkah candles. And it's a time we can make personal requests. We want to make a fire in our lives for Hashem. We want to light up our hearts. We want to we want to give love and and, and inspiration. And it, the, our says, revolves in is like a candle. Candle apparently, if you put it near a bonfire, it's going to bend towards the bonfire, which is interesting because by nature our Nishamas want to go towards the source. We want to go to Hashem. We really want to bond with Hashem. And 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 the, that's the idea of a little holiday, a little a little yid, a little a little jug of oil is what you can't desecrate. You can't, you know, the fire of the Jews, you can't go against. All the tribulations, the so only holiday, by the way, also it's in the house. The other holidays have to do with objects or they have to do with shul or they have to go with going out of your house. The Hanukkah is within the house, within our darkness, within our trials and tribulations. We're supposed to, we're supposed to light up the darkness and show that we have an inspiration. We know God loves us. And we're showing that lahodah Hallel. We're told, Rav Nassim Vachvogel tells us, these days is a judgment on how much we praise Hashem. And the strongest judgment is the eighth day of Hanukkah. You know, and um, because he says something extreme, but it's something to, to chew on. Rav Nassim Vahvogel says that a person is always either in an appreciative mode or he is un- unappreciative. There's no such thing as being in the middle. You either appreciate it every second or you're not appreciative. And it's really the basis for our whole Judaism. We're called Yehudim. We're told a person that are appreciative. We're granted gifts. Now, you can't be, we're not talking about when things are low. You can't always feel appreciative. But I'm talking about when things are good. You you know, <laughs> people, people need to feel appreciative. It's very important. And it's very hard as a human condition to feel appreciative. You know, um, the... Uh, the Chasim Sofer says that if a person um, has done a good deed to someone else, you should know you may get insulted. If you get insulted by anybody, you should know you probably did that person a good deed once. I shared with you once by story with Rav Scheinberg, of Racha. I once went complaining to him, telling him, I had these guests that our family adopted. You know, we had auntie this and auntie that. And these are people that nobody in the world. And anyways, we loved them anyways. We took them as members of the family. They're all at all our weddings and all our simchas. And they were there for Shabbos an awful lot. And they're with us all the time and everything. What happened? (laughs) There were times where auntie this and auntie that would come and like scream and yell at me or have like some kind of thing against me, be all upset at me. And I had friends, on the other hand, that were hosting these people every six weeks or once every two months, and they were perfect with them. And with me, they were like having a hard time. And I, I asked her, Scheinberg, am I doing something wrong that these people are having such reactions? And I remember he answered me, you're doing the right thing. He said, they you, they feel close to you. That's why they're doing that to you. He says, continue doing what you're doing. So the uh, that was interesting to hear. And I'm not saying a person has to do this if they feel like it's ruining their life. I'm not saying just go that far. But on the other hand, there is a thing of a person insults you. It's a sign that you're doing something good by them. Why? Because people cannot stand being beholden. It's a natural thing. I find I taught many converts. I would say a small percentage of them keep up with me. Um, I mean, I, every time I see them, we're very good friends and everything, everything's fine. But I'm saying keeping up on a regular basis because it's a certain... Humiliation. You remember me when you were not even Jewish yet and I was teaching you and you don't want to remember those days. You want to remember when you're doing it on your own and how successful you are. That's why it's hard also to appreciate parents. You remember them. That means you're once a child and unsuccessful and now you're this successful person. But we're supposed to fight those feelings. We're really supposed to be appreciative. But then it's understandable when when a person is not appreciated, that's the way life goes. You know, I spoke to a lot of people about this and anybody that had people on a regular basis had similar situations like this because people by nature are not so appreciative. You know, um, now sometimes a person has their own problems. They, they're more upset and they take it out even more on other people, you know, but um, or they have a hard life. Like someone told me it's, plus, it's supposed to be an um, idiom in English. No good deed goes unpunished. Um, so every moment, says, a person is an ingrate or they're appreciative. There's no power of a rule. And that's what we have to work on. And that's really the idea of that candle. We're lighting a stupid minuscule light, but what light are you giving us, Hashem? And there is a light at the end of days. All the people with near-death experiences talk about this great light that we're all going to go through to praise the gratitude that we're supposed to show and supposed to be, especially when things are dark, especially when we don't see clearly. And we're, what, what is more dark than the, the year of this year that we're going through right now? Well, the Holocaust was worse and I'm sure Spanish Inquisition is worse, but for our, in our lifetimes, this was probably one of the hardest years most of us have had. You know, there are two types of ways to serve God. And, and they're reflected in our prayers. One is Hashem in his kindness wants us to come and keep speaking to him, asking him, Hashem, I need this, Hashem, I need that. It's a form of prayer, right? Bakashos. Then there's a form of prayer called Lahodos. It's it's praise, shevach. You're supposed to praise Hashem. What do we usually do? Most of us usually employ the request mode. And the praise is more you know, rare. But really, the praise is where we get the points. Because really anytime we make requests, Hashem does it because this brings us closer to him. Otherwise, we'd be asking the doctor, the lawyer, the accountant, the bank manager. Those are the ones we'd be depending on, or our countries that we've been depending on, the governments we depend on, doctors we depend on. All these things are falling, crumbling before our eyes. The whole whole world is crumbling right now as we speak. And usually, we're the type to just make um, you know, to just to just make requests. But now we find that's falling through. I heard many times, I heard from the Rashiva Peekskill Shlita and heard from other people. I think he brings down in the name of somebody else, but he says, what is idolatry? He says, you're not allowed to serve idols, but what's idolatry? Idolatry is the act of giving a shopping list to an idol. You're saying, idol, oh idol, if you really work, I need health, I need wealth, I need this, I need that. What is a votus Hashem? Serving Hashem, it's part of it. Of course, it's making a request, but that's not all there is. The main thing is, what can I do for you, Hashem? Not what can you do for me? And that's that's the idea of Lahodus Lahala. Hanukkah is this very special holiday, very special holiday, because Hanukkah, we celebrate the lights, not the war. We mention the war in the prayers, but we celebrate the lights because the light is the idea of the soul that we have that Hashem bestowed upon us, how we can give back some light and light up our own darkness with our awareness that God loves us and appreciativeness towards Hashem. The war would just remind us how powerless we really are. You know, years ago I was in Eretz Yisrael by the cell and I lost something. So I went to the police department by the cell which you think is a very important strategic area. You know, it's a lot of danger could take place over there there were two 19-year-olds sitting behind a desk and they looked like they were half asleep. And, you know, they come up to me and I saw they were just like out of it. <laughs> and that was the Israeli police department. You know what I mean? We put our faith in so many things and war could maybe distract us. So that's what we're, we're focusing on. How Hashem, and this is a little minute miracle. Like you could say, I find some light for eight days. We said the bigger miracles in Tanakh than this miracle, but we have to look even at the small things and how they show unconditional love? Rav Yaakov Emden, as sitter, Beis Yaakov, says that it's a bigger miracle that we survived these 2,000 years in exile than leaving Egypt. That's what he says every day, every day we continue to exist as a people. Look at how we defied everybody and came back after World War II. Look how great of a people we are. This is, you know, this is the greatness of the Jewish people, how long we've existed in this Gullus. And Rav, ya- Rav, um, Rav Nassim tells us that these the 200 years while the Chashvonayim were ruling was the preparation for this long exile. And the reason why there's no McGill of Hanukkah is Hanukkah is the preparation to get us out of exile and to keep us in it and what, how we're supposed to conduct ourselves during the dark times. And we don't need it once Mashiach comes. Hanukkah will not be existing once Mashiach comes because we don't have to survive an exile anymore. So let's Let's go there with the great Masiris Nefesh, the great the unafraidness of the Maccabim, how they got up there and defied all causes. They burned that fire of Masiris Nefesh, of saying, I'm willing to give everything to you, Hashem, back to you. But remember that Hashem unconditionally started all our temples with this idea that I love you unconditionally. And he gave us this Or news, this hidden light is in our Hanukkah candles, time to beseech Hashem for anything. It's a time we said to look at it It's a cure for a lot of things, to pray for people that are sick. And, and such things. And our thoughts are so important. It's the thoughts that make a kiddush Hashem, by the way, our thoughts, you know, the, the thought you put into something, you don't have to do anything. It's your thought. What's the difference between a person that makes a kiddush Hashem and someone that didn't? They said in the Holocaust, there were people that weren't that religious. They died for kiddush Hashem because they died thinking I'm proud to be a Jew and I'm not giving that up. It was dependent on what you were thinking when a person died your thoughts. We can't give so much back to Hashem. A small little candle in the darkness, what does it light up? But we believe that's the hidden light, to realize we have to appreciate everything. We Even the lowest Jew Hashem loves, he loves a little person. We're into the internal, not the external. What can we do for you, Hashem? Not what have you given us. That's nothing. That's what we have from God. That's nothing to boast about. And nothing to be proud about. And we have to start this chinoch in the darkness. ourselves To do the Chanukah of the sweetness of the unconditional love. And how because of that, we're going to go through flame and fire. And we're going to show the love for Hashem no matter what Tessie puts us through. I thank you for listening. I wish you a beautiful, splendid Chanukah. I thank our fabulous moderator, Rivka Shapsov, who had her grandson born this week. And um, thank you for listening.